Welcome to the Fantasy End Podcast, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. Welcome to the Fantasy End. Hello, and welcome back to the Fantasy End Podcast. This week's episode is something a little bit different because we have a guest from another podcast. So Calvin Park is joining us from his podcast, Under a Pile of Books. He's also a reviewer over at Fantasy Book Review. So if you're plugged into the book community, or at least the fantasy book community, you've probably seen him around a little bit. So Calvin, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, Travis. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, I feel like this kind of collaboration has been a long time coming, and I'm excited for what we have ahead of us. So as you can tell by the title of the episode, we'll be discussing the Elder Empire series by Will White. And if you're not familiar with Will White in general, he's just really fantastic author, uh, has a bunch of really enjoyable series, the Traveler's Gate trilogy, the Cradle series, which will be who knows how many books, I think 12 or maybe more. And then also this Elder Empire series. So I don't see it discussed as much online, but it's actually two parallel series where the heroes in one series are actually the antagonists in the opposing series. Uh, So Calvin and I thought it would be fun to do a buddy read of the first two books. Well, there's two first books in this series. So I decided to read of Sea and Shadow, and Calvin decided to read of Shadow and Sea. So overall, uh, it's been a fun experience, and we're looking forward to discussing it. So I guess in general, what what are your thoughts on this idea for the structure of a book series, Calvin? Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting. Uh, First of all, just just as a concept, I'd kind of... uh, I'd kind of seen the the series talked about a little bit here and there uh online and on goodreads or whatever and then i think it it might have been on discord uh we were talking about it the one day and uh, you tossed out the idea of doing a buddy read and i was all over that and because this is just it's a series that just lends itself right to to doing a buddy read and i think this is uh it's it's like one of those unique opportunities that Will probably has as a uh, self-published author uh, that he can like experiment with different ways of doing this. And I, I can't see a traditional publisher going, yeah, 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 go ahead. We'll, we'll publish two series in tandem like this. Uh, that's really actually one series or whatever. Uh, so it's a neat concept. And it, as you read it, it's really kind of fun because you know your the villains in your story are the heroes in another story and vice versa. Right. There's definitely uh, an element as you're going through reading it, kind of thinking, okay, well, this person seems like they're obviously evil, but I know there's a parallel series, so there's something more going on here. <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, I mentioned the two books. Uh, so you read of Shadow and Sea. So I guess let's first talk about that. So how would you describe of Shadow and Sea? Uh, so if... Um, if I was just kind of giving, 
like the the paragraph pitch, like uh, trying to convince you to read it. Uh, what I'd probably say is uh, so of Shadow and Sea is this story about a, a team of highly trained secret agents, basically the the MI six of the fantasy world that have to prevent a group of swashbuckling pirates, right? So it's kind of like a ninjas versus pirates uh, thing, <laughs> uh, but they have to prevent this group of, of swashbuckling pirates from making off with an artifact that has the power to create a new emperor, but also ensure that that emperor is immediately corrupted by the big, bad, horrible elder god. Uh, and so it's bad news. It's bad news. Yeah, and... Uh... So I mostly agree with how you've described some of those characters. I think uh, you might be portraying those pirates in a little bit of an unfair light. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so in Of Sea and Shadow, if I had to pitch it, I'd say you kind of have like this thief slash con man, uh, similar to, say, Locke Lamora uh, from Scott Lynch's Gentleman Bastard series, who is sort of forced against his will to join the Navigator's Guild. And so he becomes the captain of a ship. And let me tell you, these ships are amazing, but more on that later. And he is offered a huge sum of money, like life-changing amount of money, to basically save the Empire. Uh, So it's getting ready to collapse and dissolve into chaos. And the only thing that can tie it back together is if you have a figurehead on the throne. Uh, And so the Emperor is kind of like this supernatural, almost immortal being kind of revered as a god, but not quite. And so that's what he's trying to do is save the empire by preventing it from collapsing. And also get paid in the process, right? Well, sure. Right. But I mean, who doesn't want to get paid for doing good work, right? (laughs) Um, So I guess that leads directly into, uh, I guess we can talk about the world building. Um, I guess you want to give kind of like an introduction to the world of the story. Sure, sure. So uh, this world is basically it's uh, in some ways sort of a, a typical fantasy world, but the whole the whole world really, as far as we know, any of the the discovered world is one empire that was until very recently controlled by, uh, you know, like a single emperor on the throne. And as part of this, uh, there are these uh, beings referred to as elders that are kind of, um, they're, they're like they're like gods, but think gods almost in like a, like a Lovecraftian sense. That's what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, definitely kind of like a Monsters of the Deep vibe going on. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, 100%. So you've got these kind of, I don't know if you want to call them, you know, Lovecraftian or Eldritch or, or, or whatever, but you've got these elders that are these great, big, monstrous, super powerful beings that uh, sort of play a role in the world, but are not active at present. And uh, uh, in addition to that, and kind of related to that, you've got this really cool magic system, actually, that relies on this this 
these people who can read objects, they're called readers, they can, they can understand or perceive the history of an object. And as part of that, they can take an object and sort of add intent to an object. So like, let's say you have your grandma's cooking knife, you know, your, your grandma's chef's knife that's been used to cut meat for 80 years or whatever. And it has that intent of cutting meat. Well, it wants to cut things. That's the intent. And so these readers can understand that and add more of a similar intent to an object, which is really cool uh, as a magic system. It gets a lot more layered and complex than that as well as the story kind of goes on. And then there are these guilds. Uh, so, uh, Travis, I think you mentioned uh, Calder is uh, part of the the Navigators Guild. Yep. And yep. Um, Shara is part of the Consultants Guild. And there are several other guilds uh, as well that uh, alchemists and, and some others that play more of a tangential role to to the story itself, but they exist in the world. So there's kind of this guild system of uh, these guilds that that play a role in the political reality of the world, at least at the time that the books are taking place. I guess, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, and I just want to add on about the magic is what really stood out to me is the whole concept of reading is it's not just readers which is what they call the magic users, uh, that can add their intent to these objects and invest them with power, pretty much anyone can. Uh, so yeah, you know, yeah, your yeah. grandma's knife that she's cutting for 80 years with, uh, she passes on a small amount of intent every time she picks up that knife to cut something. And so the accumulation of all of that intent over the years makes that knife already kind of magical in a way, even if the grandma herself has no magic powers. But readers can sense that and because they're so attuned to it, they're more powerful at forcing their intent onto things. So the reading itself is almost like a passive power, uh, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because uh, of that very thing. There's in, in a lot of fantasy books, you know, the, the magic users are the magic users, but in this world, regular people actually contribute to the system of magic. They, they actually contribute to the intent of objects just by nature of using them, which I thought was really interesting because you don't necessarily need to have uh, a reader to add intent to an object. Over time, as an object is used and reused for the same purpose, it gains its own intent regardless of the magicalness or whatever of the person doing the the using and the intending at the time. And so bringing it a little back to the elders again, one thing that I just really want to know your perception on is so uh, the main character of my story, Calder, he has sort of like an elder spawn, like a mini god demon type creature, uh, like a pet horror, shall we say. So what are your impressions of that creature? Uh, the creature is creepy and obviously demonic, and it just goes to show how horrible Calder is. Okay, so uh, <laughs> not to be that guy, but well, actually, uh, so this creature's name is terrifying, right? This creature is called Shuffles. Uh, and so if you're familiar, <laughs> if you're familiar with a lot of pirate stories, 
uh, you'll have like a parrot that'll perch on his shoulder and it'll repeat uh, things that they hear at probably inopportune times, adding a little bit of comic relief. So imagine instead of a bird, it's kind of like a little mini Cthulhu, like just this terrifying creature, but it's also like small enough to perch on your shoulder. And instead of uh, repeating embarrassing things, it will latch on to anything bad you say. So if you're like, oh, like those guys are definitely going to kill us. All of a sudden, your little pet horror is going to say, kill us. And so it's just kind of this, this horror slash comic relief that's always interjected into things. And whenever Cowder thinks he's getting ready to die, this creature will like perk up and like follow him around because it wants to see him killed. So it's like really cosmic horror that's adorable would be my way of describing it. So I definitely wanted to get your view on that because it's really like cute, cuddly comic relief for the most part. See, that's that's fascinating because just knowing that actually starts to change my perception of Calder. Like like, like just that little tidbit alters my my perspective and, and my perception of certain events that that take place in the novel. Yeah, yeah. And I and I figured it would because that seemed like one of the single things that would be perceived the most differently between our stories. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, Shuffles was such a great character, one of my favorite. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of like the parrot combined with the lucky cat that you have on board a ship to add to that Locke Lamora analogy. But yeah, so I, I guess that kind of covers an introduction to the world of this Elder Empire series. So moving forward, uh, I mean, we've kind of already mildly spoiled things. Uh, If you wanted to perceive Shuffles as the horrifying creature that he most certainly is not. Um, (laughs) But so a warning going ahead, we'll probably be getting a little bit more spoilery. No more than if you were to read, say, one of our reviews of this series, most likely. But because of the nature of the duality of this series, if you were going to read Shara's story about the ninjas, you're probably going to have some insight into the pirate characters that you wouldn't have had otherwise, and vice versa. Um, so it's nothing that you probably couldn't have maybe suspected, knowing that there's a parallel novel out there, uh, but just go into that with that knowledge. Um, so disclaimer out of the way, uh, let's <laughs> talk about the characters, Calvin. Uh, so what was your impression of Cowder? Well, like, like I said, uh, you know, he's... I I found him uh, j- just the way he comes across in of Shadow and Sea is self-serving. Definitely, I was going to say power hungry, but it it might be more uh, profit hungry and potentially uh, kind of blinded by that search for power or profit to the the true consequences of what he's actually doing. So he, he also definitely does have, you can at least get glimpses of a certain charm or charisma that he may have as a character, but Definitely, definitely comes off as kind of this this self serving, uh, kind of looking for looking at the bottom line. You know, I've got the job to do, and I get paid if I do the job. So therefore, I need to get the job done to get paid. Uh, it's sort of mercenary in, in that regard. That would probably be uh, a good word for it. 
That's interesting because you're not wrong in that he wants the profit, but so many of my favorite fantasy stories involve kind of, you know, like the plucky, charismatic thief that, yeah, you know, they want to stick it to the rich guy and get rich on their own in the process, uh, but they're not really like trying to destroy the world or anything along the way. Uh, so that was more of my impression of Cowder. And there's a lot, if you read Cowder's story, that he is not doing willingly necessarily, and things are outside of his control. Uh, so I don't want to get too much into that to avoid spoilers, but uh, he's not like the power-hungry, greedy person that he's made out to be. See, that that's interesting because... Uh, so like for me, he comes off much more Greedo than Han Solo. Uh, but it sounds like what you're saying is more Han Solo than Greedo. Absolutely. That, see that, that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And I'm going to be like a horrible speculative fiction fan here and tell you that I'm confident in that answer based on context clues, but I have no idea who Greedo is. <laughs> oh man um so he's the one that han shot first okay gotcha i i do recognize that as a contested event potentially in the star wars universe <laughs> yeah that's not what this podcast is about at all so we can't talk about that <laughs> uh but yeah speaking of contested things uh, so my impression of Shira is interestingly very similar to your impression of Calder, where, you know, mercenary was a good description. So Shira is this ruthless assassin who, you know, if someone pays her, she's going to get the job done and kill them. She doesn't care anything about, you know, if they have a child at home or if they're like a great upstanding citizen. She just wants her money, right? So every time you see her, she like appears from nowhere, uh, you don't know how she got there. She's silent. She's fast. She's incredibly difficult to kill. And she just has like this flat, dead expression on her face. Like there is no emotion, no heart behind her. So very similar to what you said when, when I talked about Calder. I mean, you're not wrong, but you're kind <laughs> of wrong. <laughs> like she's not. Um, so... I mean, yeah, all of those, the, the, the factual things, I mean, she is, she is an assassin and she is like totally badass and just like, she, she's awesome, right? In, in that regard, but she's not like, she's actually not in it for her own glory. And, and she's not even really in it for like the money. Uh, she's... I, I don't uh, so I want to I want to avoid any any major spoilers, but she she's she's doing this for uh, reasons that are actually quite personal to to her. Uh, so she's not uh, there's actually for her the the motivation comes very much internally, and there's there's actually not a whole lot of external motivation there uh but but you your dis description of her is like you know really like cold and just non-emotional is is interesting because she is kind of non-emotional but there are like 
reasons for that. So when you read of Shadow and Sea, it makes a lot of sense. And I think in some ways actually makes her more relatable, even okay. though that might sound strange. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And honestly, it's kind of the thing that I would expect. Like you were saying with your impressions of Calder, you can get glimpses every now and then. I mean, for the most part, these stories are in parallel, but they're not all in the same scenes together, right? Like, I think Calder and Shira cross paths a handful of times, like three or four times throughout the story. Yeah, yeah, something um, like that. Yeah, and occasionally, you know, it's just like a quick fight or something where you're introduced to each other. And then occasionally, you know, there's a few words exchanged uh, that are fairly tense, uh, but it's enough where you can kind of get an idea that there's more going on and more to the other character that's kind of directly contradicting what your point of view character has been thinking about them uh, up until that point. I don't know if you had the same uh, for Cowder. Yeah, yeah, actually, it, it it feels very much like that. And I don't know, like there are um, there are a series in of Shadow and Sea, there are a series of flashback uh, sequences where you actually get some of like Shira's backstory and sometimes that sheds light on at least my perspective or my perception of events not only with Shira but also uh, with with Calder so sometimes th those flashbacks uh, happen like before or after the the two sides kind of kind of clash or whatnot and that that can alter perspective a little bit there too yeah yeah and that's interesting uh i guess it makes sense because these are parallel series uh that the structure kind of parallels each other as well because Cowder's story is told kind of in parallel timelines it's not necessarily every other chapter but it kind of like breaks down to that where you have his story in the present where it's, you know, the Consultant Guild of Assassins versus the Navigator Guild of Pirates off to either crown a new emperor or, like, destroy the artifact that'll crown a new emperor. Uh, but then in the past, uh, like you were saying with Shira, you kind of see how Cowder got where he is because there's a lot of unanswered questions about him at the beginning that you kind of just assume he got there a certain way and then you realize it was actually some, like, a different way. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. An interesting comparison, I think, is because uh, Will White as an author uh, often gets compared to, say, Brandon Sanderson, where they have just kind of this really imaginative, rich world building, fantastic fight sequences, and just kind of page turners that keep you up late at night trying to finish the next part of the story. Uh, so the series that jumps to mind for me, mostly as a comparison, is maybe Stormlight Archive in structure, where you know each book is centered around a certain character, uh, and then you have flashbacks that kind of interweave with the current story and converge right at the end. Um, I I'm assuming, Calvin, that you've read the Stormlight Archives books, but I'm actually not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, they're actually some of my favorites. So, uh, and and I'd agree. I think the, the story structure here now... Uh, Will writes much, much shorter um, yes. novels. <laughs> yes. And uh, they're, they're pro as a result, they're probably a bit uh, faster paced. But that, that kind of flashback sequence definitely, definitely has a feel, especially like uh, for 
say like uh, like Oath Oathbringer or something like that, where the the flashback scenes are really really showing you the character. I mean, I guess it it happens in Words of Radiance and The Way of Kings too, but um, yeah, you're, you're definitely similar feel to what you get in the Stormlight Archive. So I guess one thing that I. Uh... I guess slightly more spoilers, but still not that many spoilers, which feels like a weird disclaimer, but there you have it. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about and like pick your brain about the scene where I believe is the first time that Cowder and Shara meet. Uh, so from Cowder's perspective, he's just been approached with, you know, the job of a lifetime. Uh, they're in the harbor on his ship. They're getting ready to set sail and they've kind of his client has just dropped that, oh, by the way, there's these like unbeatable assassins that have been contracted out to get me. So do what you will with that knowledge. Uh, and so everything's <laughs> kind of tense. He's like, are they going to come tonight? I mean, probably not because, you know, everything's happened so fast. Like, even if they are unbeatable, like there's no way they could get here in time. Um, and so then in the middle of the night, he finds his wife's missing and Shira is on board the ship and just laying into his crew uh, and taking down everyone. And it's kind of intimidating uh, to see Shira from that light. Uh, I don't know. What what was it like from your side? Wow. Um, well, for one, th- that kind of description, uh, I, I can totally see why the consultants would be absolutely terrifying. Um, so for... For uh, Shira, kind of from from her perspective, uh, she's she's kind of uh, she's kind of scoped out what's going on, and she gets on the ship, and initially, you, you know, she's pretty uh, kind of confident and excited about uh, kind of being able to to get in, get the job done and, and get out. Uh, but when you see everything doesn't go to plan to her plan on the ship and she actually ends up engaged in, uh, a fight that, that she doesn't actually want and that gets started by another character. Uh, and so she has to basically her, her entire attempt, uh, turns into her basically just trying to get off the ship, uh, and kind of survive to, to fight another day. So it's, it's really interesting because it's, it's a very different perspective, right? Like she's initially, she goes in thinking, very much what it sounds like maybe Calder felt that, that okay, she's going to get in, get the job done, get out, but it does not turn out that way for her and it kind of all goes south and uh, yeah, it, it, it's problematic and she ends up kind of barely getting out, out herself. I, I could definitely see how that could be the structure from your book. Uh, which again is just sort of one of the most interesting parts about this whole concept to me is that every scene that you go into as a traditional fantasy story where like you're rooting for your character, you know they're going to try to stick it to the bad guy, but like go through a ton of strife and struggle along the way. You know that it's like arguably a good guy that they're fighting against at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I mean, this is something that certainly other fantasy authors have have played with right this this idea that 
everyone is the hero of their own story or, you know, uh, sometimes Grimdark plays with it in the opposite direction, right? That there, that there are no heroes in stories, you know, uh, we're all, if, if we're all the hero of our own story, then we're all the villain as well. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing that, that authors have definitely played with, but I think, uh, White is playing with it in kind of a different way here because you actually have two separate novels that, you know, are telling the story from those two perspectives. And so it's just, it's a different, it's a different thing because of the format. And I think that's really interesting, uh, the way he's playing with perspective and perception in both of these novels. Yeah. And I know, I think... I've read something before from an old interview or blog post from Will White where, so it's not like he releases of Shadow and Sea, and then, you know, a few months later he releases of Sea and Shadow. He writes these books in parallel and he releases them, I believe, simultaneously. Uh, So it's almost Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. he's writing this brick of a book and then in editing, splitting up the storylines and tweaking everything so they stand on their own um, instead of having like two totally separate things, which... Again, I mean, I guess you could probably assume it makes sense with how this is set up. Yeah, but it really is. I mean, it is interesting because he is essentially writing, you know, what, a 700, 800 page book that he's just splitting into two. Uh, Obviously, it's it's more than just, you know, like splitting it in half or whatever. He's got to make sure the pacing is on for both of them and, and, and all of that stuff. And I'm sure it's much more complicated than, you know, just copy and paste the second half of the book or whatever. But still it's he's he's essentially writing a big uh like you said brick of a book but then because he split them into two we get a very different experience or at least a very different perception of half of the characters because of that very thing yeah it's like controversial analogy uh, it's like you know George R. R. Martin's uh, book four and five of uh, Song of Ice and Fire, uh, Feast of Crow or Feast for Crows and uh, Dance with Dragons. Uh, except if you didn't want to just totally skip one of the books that separates the two timelines and characters. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly because you're you're doing the same kind of thing, except there's more. There's probably more interaction uh, between the characters. Yes, you know, in one book or the other, than than you get in those two, but. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's very similar to, to what, what's going on there. Well, uh, I guess one thing that I wanted to hit as well, uh, have you read uh, any of Will White's other books? Yeah, yeah. I've read all of the Cradle books that have been published so far, and I think I've read like the first of the Traveler's Gate uh, series. Okay. Uh, so I guess just what are your general thoughts? Like how does the Elder Empire books in your personal like preference, how do they stack up against Cradle and Traveler's Gate? Uh, yeah, I actually think uh, to to some extent, I think that that these may be. I think of Shadow and Sea may be the best start to a series that Will has written. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong, I I love Cradle and uh, Traveler's Gate was was good too. I actually like Cradle more, but. I think that Of Shadow and Sea is better than Unsold. Uh, so a- as the start to a series, I actually I actually think it's better. It's in some ways, it's definitely vintage Will White in, in terms of, you know, sort of having a, a complex or complex-ish, hard-ish magic system. You know, it, it 
there's a lot of there's a lot of layers and explanation to the magic system, but I think he does a good job of not making it feel um, info dumpy at, at parts. And so I think I think that works out really well. And uh, I'd, I'd say, in my opinion, I think it compares favorably to both Cradle and uh, the Traveler's Gate series. Again, I haven't finished the Traveler's Gate series, so I can't really comment on that one as much. But I, I think it definitely, uh, for me, is up there with Cradle. And, and frankly, Cradle is one of my favorite like um, action fantasy read uh, reads out there right now. So, I I would agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh, I don't know if I have that much to add that you haven't already said. Um, but yeah, in general, like of sea and shadow and i'm sure of shadow and sea as well uh incredibly incredibly strong start to a series um so calvin any any final thoughts like anything that we haven't gotten to so far that you're just itching to talk about uh for these books so one one thing that we we didn't really say anything about is uh in terms of the magic system and this is if if people have seen me write like read any of my reviews or or listened to me uh, on on my podcast or followed me on Twitter or whatever, uh, folks know that I love magic and fantasy. So the more magic there is in fantasy, the probably the more <laughs> I'm gonna love. Um, you know, the more I'm gonna love a book. Actually, it's it's kind of amazing that I love uh, Guy Gabriel K as much as I do because his books have comparatively <laughs> little magic in them. Um, but uh, one one of the things that I thought was just kind of interesting about the magic here, and we didn't really touch on it, was uh, the concept of soulbound. Mm, yes. Uh, and so soulbound are like these these uh, people who it's it's actually interesting because it's not entirely explained in of shadow and sea i feel like it might be explained differently or more in of sea and shadow but uh anyway i i think that this this concept of the uh these people that are able to kind of do magic because of like a vessel or something that's sort of unique to them and that they're they're bound to in some way or something like that uh it, to me it was kind of an, an interesting little twist on maybe something that we've seen before in fantasy but anyway yeah i thought it was i thought it was really interesting right um and speaking of like these awakened objects uh again with a brandon sanderson comparison it reminds me a little bit of warbreaker did you read that book calvin yeah, yeah, I love Warbreaker. Okay, uh, so with a similar idea of like you can kind of imbue an object with enough magic that it sort of becomes alive and it gets special properties. And I mean, even down to the point where uh, kind of what I wanted to cover that I don't think we talked about were uh, the guild heads for all the various guilds in the world. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I don't know from your side of the story how much perspective you got of them but there were a couple times when uh Cowder was sort of uniquely positioned to meet quite a few of them uh and it seems like most of them might or might not be soul bound and have like these really powerful objects uh so again with the comparison to warbreaker there's one say sword that is so incredibly powerful like it's imbued with so much intent uh from readers over the centuries and warriors that its entire purpose is to kill uh, so you could basically like unsheathe the sword in the middle of a crowded room and everyone would just die automatically 
and then you could put it back in its sheath. You don't even have to swing it around or fully pull it out of the sheath. So that's terrifying uh, yep. and also very Sanderson-esque. So, um, yeah, uh, Shira doesn't doesn't so much get um, like a, a ton of personal interaction with the guild heads, but there's definitely uh, some perspective that she gets not only on that, but especially on kind of these very, very powerful awakened objects or, or whatnot that have this long history of intent that goes with them. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, again, I want to, I don't want to give any major spoilers, but there's, there is definitely a significance, uh, to, to using, you know, it, it becomes one of those things. Like if, if there's so much intent built up in an item, right. Do you want to buy the brand new, titanium steel you know whatever chef's knife right that's that that just got made six months ago or do you want to keep using grandma's knife that you know maybe isn't made out of the best titanium or whatever but it's had you know 80 years of intent associated with it uh, so it, it's kind of this interesting world building thing that that comes up as well is it actually better to use like an older obsolete object it, to accomplish the same task that a newer object could it's it's again it's really neat magic in that regard yeah yeah and that's a common theme too you'll see like all these rusted and bent out of shape looking weapons that are actually like super powerful weapons uh which even aesthetically is really interesting compared to you know fantasy where there's gemstones in the hilt that store magic or you've got these runes inscribed on the right. blade or you know it glows with this inner sorcery it's just something that was cool for that movie in your mind aspect yeah it definitely it, it creates this unique ambiance you're absolutely right and so another of the things that is not a spoiler and i know this because it's literally on the cover of of sea and shadow <laughs> uh, which is an amazing cover by the way um, Will White in initially published these books with uh, different cover art, uh, and then he must have paid, I'm assuming, a fortune for this art because it's gorgeous on both of the books. Yeah, it really is. The cover art is great. Yeah, very, very impressive and eye-catching. Um, and so uh, on my cover of Sea and Shadow, you can see Cowder. He's on his ship. Uh, he's kind of just leaning over, looking into the distance, sword in hand. Uh, and you see this like giant sea monster coming out of the water. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. So if you remember us talking about those elders, uh, you might suspect what kind of creature this is. Uh, but this thing is so cool. And it's not necessarily, strictly speaking, like an enemy monster creature. It's sort of the horse to the buggy of Cowder's ship. So it kind of tows him along underwater and he can call it up at will, uh, which is really, really cool uh, and probably terrifying if you're against Cowder. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100% it's terrifying, like creepy terrifying. And again, I mean, there's always two sides to every story. So you find out a lot in Of Sea and Shadow that kind of explains it away without being terrifying. I mean, that's kind of the common theme of this episode is these books have so much in them that you don't see in the companion novel. 
Yeah, it's it's true. And even just like even talking with you about uh, of Sea and Shadow, again, it, it just little things give this different twist and this different perspective. I actually plan to go read uh, of Sea and Shadow sometime uh, just because I want to get kind of that that different perspective on the characters that like I'm totally rooting for them because they're they're the heroes right in the story uh so yeah as soon as I can uh fit it in around my review copies that I'm sort of obligated to read uh well personally obligated to read because I signed up for them I I definitely want to get to of shadow and see as soon as I can uh I wanted to for sure put it off until after we did this recording though because I wanted to be uh kind of a clean slate for my trash talking against Shira, who's obviously the villain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, uh, you know, to you, Calder may be a nice guy, but I literally know he's trying to, like, end the world as we know it, and that seems like a bad thing to me. So, go Shira. (laughs) Well, really, (laughs) Shira just wants to uh, thrive in the chaos because when everyone's out for themselves and there's no clear leadership, uh, that's when mercenaries and assassins get the most business. Says the pirate. Says the <laughs> pirate. Or I, I would call Shira a ninja, but I guess her proper guild is consultants. And so sidebar on that, calling her guild the consultants is sort of like saying uh, you hired the guild of carpentry to take down Troy. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of a misnomer, uh, but still really badass. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, to be clear, you know, as far as anyone in the world knows, these are just nice consultant people. They, you know, officially not assassins, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they're assassins. Let's be real. <laughs> Anyways, uh, again, I think Calvin and I both thought. This was a great book or pair of books, a great start to what's shaping up to be a really cool series. And I think you said it yourself, Calvin, it's vintage Will White. Uh, If you're a fan of Will White's other works, uh, you're probably going to love this. Yeah, I I agree 100 percent. I think if you if you enjoyed Cradle, if you enjoyed uh, Traveler's Gate, you're you're probably going to like this. And it wouldn't be a bad time to jump into this series, actually, because I believe that uh, Will is currently working on his current work in progress is the third set of books in this series. Uh, so I would imagine at the rate that he writes that we'll we'll see that sometime in the not too distant future, though I know plenty of folks have been waiting what feels like a very long time already. But uh, but yeah, I, I, I saw on his Twitter or Facebook or something recently that his current work in progress is the third set of books. Oh, that's that's definitely exciting, uh, especially from a guy who's a uh, writing output. Uh, if I don't keep up with his blog posts or social media presence, all of a sudden he's dropped surprise three more cradle books. Right. Like we got Underlord in like March and then suddenly Uncrowned was here in October or whatever. And I was like, oh, that was fast. Yep. So. Yep. Um. Well, I think that's about everything. I did have one question for you, Calvin. So as a regular listener of your podcast, I wanted to throw one of your questions back at you. So tabling aside, Shira and Calder, uh, if you had to have dinner with any of the characters in this story, who would it be? Hmm. Oh, man. You know, actually, I, I 
I think if if I if I had to if I got to have dinner with any character in this story, it would be the former emperor. Okay. Why? Yeah. Uh, why? Because he is uh, out of out of anyone. He's the most knowledgeable person uh, about like everything, and so I feel like uh, he just like have all this like wisdom and like experience of kind of guiding this world, which would be really interesting to just like pick. Uh, kind kind of pick at that knowledge, like a, a guy who's been essentially immortal, uh, and and gotten all this experience or whatnot, uh, and to be able to sit down and like like pick his brain about what's happened and you know the different different stuff that he's seen and navigated, you know, not only politically but but just just people stuff. I I think that would be. I think that would be fascinating. So, uh, plus, I'm I'm hopeful he could also, uh, if I can metagame for a second, just like give me the full perspective on what's going on in the world so that I can know because I'm really (laughs) curious. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I feel that definitely. That would definitely be uh, an interesting dinner. Yeah, no, it, it totally would. And again, I, I think, like, just generally speaking, I think some of the coolest fantasy characters to talk with would be the ones that are, like, have that huge, long, like, kind of immortal or nearly immortal perspective, right? Where, uh, you know, they've, they've got this bigger picture of the world than, like, you or I are likely to ever have. Because even if we live to, like, a 100 or something, uh, it's still not going to be as long as, you know, someone like the emperor here or, um, you know, someone, uh, some other fantasy character that's super long lived or whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great answer. And and now I know how other people feel whenever I ask <laughs> that question to them. <laughs> it's actually harder than, than it, it's harder than I thought it was. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, uh, Consider this like a turnaround. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Fair uh, play. <laughs> but yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad you have such like uh, impressive sounding answer because my answer to the same question would be shuffles. Uh, because <laughs> uh, as the proud owner of two cats, uh, I am very familiar with the concept of little cute eldritch horrors that follow you around everywhere. Uh, and I think it would be really cool to be able to talk to one of them. Uh, even if they kind of just parrot back to me what I tell them, uh, I think that would make for uh, some insightful discussion. <laughs> I think I think that's hilarious. And now when I see my cat, I'm going to think of her as like this eldritch horror. So, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> so when you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't know what's making that noise, it's the eldritch horror. That's actually probably true. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this has been great, Calvin. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this book with me. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, so thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. It was such a pleasure having Calvin on the podcast. I highly encourage you to click the link in the show notes and listen to his podcast, Under a Pile of Books, You'll have more new books to read than you can keep up with, plus a ton of great interviews with authors and bloggers. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts and an honest review. A minute of your time can help us reach more listeners and improve the podcast for everyone. And as always, you can find us online at thefantasyn.com and on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. Or just come and hang out with us in our new Discord server, which you can find through our blog or in the show notes. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.